Hello, everybody, and welcome to the greatest podcast in the history of the world. You are talking with Ryan McAniff, and I have my co-host. And I'm Tara Bowman. And we are the co-hosts of the podcast Conversations with Tara and Ryan. We have a great guest today, Abby Dykehouse from the Avis uh, group, which does care management. We are excited to have you on, Abby. Thank you so much for, for being a part of the, the podcast and for being part of the NAIPC because you're out of the San Francisco slash Bay Area chapter. Welcome to the, the, the podcast. All the pressure's on you now. We've done my part. I'm done. Have a good day. Thank you, Ryan. You did a great job. I think all <laughs> statements you have said so far are true. And so factual. All right. We're doing well so far. And it's it's later in the day for you. It's still nine in the morning for me. So I've I've got my caffeine. Um, so if I slip up, it's because I haven't been fully caffeinated yet. You have no excuse. <laughs> no, I purposely mess up so that it makes everybody else look good. I'm actually perfect. I purposely make a mistake so that everybody else feels comfortable about the podcast very selfless of you thank you <laughs> absolutely absolutely but thank you so much for joining us and um you you know in the kind of pre-interview before we started recording one of the things you said that was interesting is that you feel in your neck of the woods of this country that care management isn't as common in which i think over in the massachusetts area and maybe that's because i'm in senior care it feels like care management is a bit more common and so since you're in the neck of the woods in which you feel that way, how about you explain what care management is and um, how you got into it and your unique take on care management? Great, thank you. Um, so as a, a care manager, I do it all for my families. I step on board and there isn't anything too big or too small that I won't uh, help the family with. Sometimes it's it's starting with education. Oftentimes uh, individuals and families will just be confused about what their options are moving forward. Um, you know, someone has landed in the hospital for whatever reason, and they don't know the ins and outs of the complexities of hospital stays, as well as what their options are to, to move forward after the hospital stay. Um, so oftentimes I come on um, as a, an educator in the beginning, and then we start to piece together resources and care um, for, for these individuals and their family and their loved ones that really don't know how to break down the barriers of aging that can be so complex. And I think why I think care management, what I do is so unique is because, again, there's nothing too small that I won't help with, right? So grandma has broken her femur and she's in the hospital and the family members, while we're educating, while we're learning how to piece together care, uh-oh, Fluffy is at home and needs a dog walker because there is no one else. Grandma has been living alone. So uh, I also step on board and say, great, let's get you a dog walker, right? So again, I've, I, as a social worker, I've worked in so many different silos of aging. I've worked for counties. I've worked for hospitals. I've worked for nonprofits. Um, and in all of those respective roles, there has always been a very small window uh, in which I can help my, my individuals that are coming to me. Um, and everything else that's outside of that scope, I say, 
I'm so sorry here in this agency, in this realm, I can't help you find uh, a wheelchair for your mother, um, but I can give you a number or a flyer. Good luck. God bless. Um, and that to me felt very, um, very challenging for all of these, these families that are so overwhelmed oftentimes and coming to see individuals in these very different aging silos. So I saw that there was um, a, a real big need and a want for someone like me to come and step in and help with anything, no matter what it is, right? Helping connect people to home care, helping connect people to PT, to OT, educating them on what the difference between palliative care and hospice is. There's a, a, a lot in this world that all of us are working in, and it can be so overwhelming um, when, when individuals are first stepping into it. What is the biggest challenge that you're finding uh, families are facing right now as they're coming out of COVID and already not knowing what to do with, you know, the situation they call you and what are some of the common questions you're getting right now? That's great. Great question. I think um, right now and in, in these moments, as we're all emerging from, from COVID, I think what has happened is that the aging population has really been very fearful of, um, of, of leaving their homes in, in a lot of different senses, right? Leaving their homes um, in, in the smaller sense of going to get groceries, going to get their you know, um, podiatrist appointment, um, but also in the bigger sense where um, individuals have stayed at home possibly longer than what would be healthy or beneficial to them because uh, they're very fearful of making those moves into different communities, into bigger communities, communities, retirement communities, board and care homes, um, and, and skilled nursing facilities. So, and loved ones are also afraid, you know, the people that are stepping in that are potentially making the decisions for these individuals. So I, I think there's almost um, a backlog, so to speak, a, a buildup of, of these families that have put emergency resources in place to get the house safe enough. Um, but at this point, it's really not the best space that those individuals can be in. And um, so I, as a care manager, uh, am often getting those first phone calls, figuring out if I can help with the transition of, of housing. Um, you know, we've got mom and dad in the house. We successfully have kept them safe from COVID, but mom is, is really starting to decline physically and dad is starting to decline mentally. Um, what, what are our next moves and how can we do that safely? Which I think is still a very relevant question um, because COVID is still out there. And I think um, COVID also brought awareness to other uh, illnesses that could really affect aging population as well, like the flu, um, you know? Uh, so I think um, 
we still have to be cognizant and aware, especially when we're, we're working with older populations, that this is going to be something that we are going to constantly have to have as a factor um, as we all work with loved ones and, and families that are, are older and, and aging. They're, of course, the most susceptible and, and the most vulnerable. Yeah, I feel like COVID with everyone being shut down, we all are a little more open to the situations that our parents or grandparents are in. I feel like as an industry, an aging services industry, it's either like a super emergency situation or a super resort lifestyle, come retire with us. And there's this whole world in between and you are the perfect person to help kind of navigate that world. Absolutely. And like what you said, you know, the, there, there are these um, opposites, you know, these beautiful resort style communities, you know, let's have a mimosa every day for brunch. Um, and uh, that's great for a, a certain type of individual that is financially set and still able to live a really good life, right? And then there's people that fall and they land in the hospital and all of a sudden they have a, a diagnosis of dementia and a broken femur. Um, and those individuals are oftentimes kind of put into skilled nursing facilities very quickly um, because hospitals want to get them out as fast as they can and the family members don't know that they have rights and they can say no. Um, but then there's this middle ground, right? Um, this board and care type community that I think as a care manager is uh often not known about with with people that come to me um, the board and care communities are really often overlooked because they don't have fancy websites um, and so oftentimes I'm educating on board and cares or I'm educating on um, bringing people into the home to make the home safe to have um, you know care for whatever they need uh, either 24 7 or um, piece it out hourly so I think, again, oftentimes families, they don't, they just don't know that they have options. Have you seen business pick up dramatically because of the amount of people that are concerned about leaving their homes and are concerned about what you were talking about, whether it's COVID or the spotlight that, you know, uh, there's infection control issues in these skilled nursing facilities and people are sitting there saying, hey, I'd rather have mom or dad be in the home with a care manager than, um then maybe moving into an assisted living or a nursing home because people want to age in place anyways, but on top of the risks that have now uh, been highlighted the last couple of years, that's really uh, made people reconsider what the plan is moving forward. Have you noticed that? Or is that not something that's been going on in, in the, your area? I think, yeah, businesses definitely uh, booming. Um, and, and I think there's a, a a lot of factors to the reason why um, COVID has really cultivated a new set of clientele for care managers. Um, I think, again, what I touched upon before is that um, people have 
been isolated um, in their homes and family members that live far away haven't been to visit grandma and grandpa or mom and dad uh, lately. And so they don't really know how challenging their lives have gotten. Um, and oftentimes the individuals are not very forthright with, with potential issues that they're having. Um, and so I think because COVID has created this social isolation in the aging population that are aging at home, there have been a lot of issues building up over the years that all of a sudden need to be addressed now, um, you know, health-wise, uh, physical, mental, the house falling apart, right? Um, you know, again, I, I think because of the lack of physical interaction with all of us, you know, I know I haven't seen my grandma in two years. She lives in New York, right? And we used to go back every six months or my mom used to go back every three months and there hasn't, you know, she hasn't had those regular visitors. And so the last time I, I went to see her a few months ago, I just, I noticed this huge decline in her. Um, and so that's when we talked as a family and we brought in a, a caregiver to come and help her take out her trash, right? She's still very fully able-bodied. And as a, a care manager, when you step onto the scene, if, if there is no um, real serious triggering event, like a fall, <clears throat> then I really try to put resources in place to help them stay as stable and happy and healthy in their homes for as long as possible. Because like you said, Ryan, um, there is absolutely a huge population that wants to do that. And it's so important to, to have those individuals bring care on before there's a, a catastrophic event, right? Absolutely. It's it's one of those things where we've we've seen it on the West Coast that the traditional side of assisted livings have just not uh, have just not filled up in the way that the, the memory care sides have. And the nursing homes are accepting people that um, for for even short term rehab that otherwise they wouldn't have accepted, you know, six, 12, 24 months ago because, you know, times have changed a little bit and they need those the, that revenue and they need the bodies. So um, it's it's certainly a, still very much up in the air. But, uh, you know, the overall um, thing that I've noticed is that just people are much more uh, much more committed to staying in their home. And I think also part of that is because people in, have invested in their home, maybe maybe, you know, uh, January 2020, somebody was like, hey, maybe I'll go into that assisted living, right? And then by mid, you know, uh, maybe not mid, but September 2020, you know, eight months later, somebody's like, listen, this COVID thing is not ending. Two weeks to slow the curve has turned into, you know, eight months. Let's do a, um, uh, a home modification project. And then you modify the home and then you have somebody that says, Hey, listen, we've spent the money on the home. Let's utilize it until we absolutely can't. And then all of a sudden those people aren't looking at assisted livings anymore. And that's where I've seen a lot of people who have said, Hey, listen, we already did these projects. So we're committed to using home care over assisted living or whatever it might be. And 
Yeah, I think care managers have have gotten a lot of calls because of that, because family members are so much more isolated from their grandparents, like you had mentioned. And then all of a sudden, you know, they need an advocate. They need a general contractor of the caregiving jobs that is going to be able to report back on what they're seeing and what's going on. And then if there's anything needed from in-home care to a dog walker as you then you have an advocate that can help you out with that and it, it seems that's kind of the trend i've been seeing in the massachusetts area yeah absolutely i i think uh in california as well people are investing in their homes all generations through the the spectrum of of aging and um i see it in in the the older generations too and and oftentimes a lot of those investments can be okay you know let's make this home safe let's put a ramp in let's install grab bars let's make this shower you know let's take the bathtub out so it's just a walk-in um and people get it to where they feel more comfortable in their house and they want to stay i will say um that for me when when i'm dealing with those individuals that would like to stay in their homes, the the big um, barrier for me with with creating you know this this great life at home for them is still that social isolation piece. So I think my job as a care manager is to make sure, okay, you know what lifestyle you were going to get if you moved into a community, whatever that community looked like, it was still um, more stimulation, right? Uh, you would be able to go to bingo and you would be able to not have to make your food and you don't have to do your laundry. And But um, uh, the big piece is, is that companionship, those people that are around you that are like-minded. And so um, for individuals that are aging in place, I really have to do a really good job of making sure, okay, so, you know, Dottie is going to stay at home. Her house is great. We've got a wonderful care team in place that are going to help her, but she loved gardening and she had a garden club that she really partook in. And that's what she wanted to go to the community for, or she, you know, she loved chair yoga. Um, and so I think as a care manager with, with aging in place individuals, to bring that community and that that outside stimulation to them is incredibly important. The social isolation piece was something I wanted to ask you about because that was always an issue in our world and now with COVID it, it's made it even worse and and it's coming to light in ways in my own personal life. I think I mentioned before that my father-in-law just passed away and my mother-in-law, she's in her mid-80s, she's healthy as can be, but her whole life was taking care of him. And now that he's gone and things are still shut down, she's healthy and she's outgoing. She just doesn't know what to do or where to go or where to find the resources. So what do you recommend to people like her, families like her, who are worried about the social isolation piece? How do you get people back out there or out there at all? Uh-huh. Yeah. And to recreate in a way their life when when someone loses their partner um, or there is a loss, there is often that grief, that depression that sets in that is a huge barrier to getting out there in the community and uh, essentially recreating your identity as an individual, which is so hard, again, on any level of aging, but especially in, in the 
older years because a lot of times those partners have have been with the other individuals for for so many decades and just had this routine. Um, and so first and foremost, I think Tara, um, your your mother-in-law, I'm sure you guys are are educating her on the process of grief. But again, there's that education piece that I always try to step into um, before we do the implementation, but letting her know this grief process could be could be very long. There's different stages. You can go back and forth through the different stages um, and offer up any type of mental health counseling therapy, if, if they're willing, um, that's always a, a big hurdle, right? But um, we're talking high dream, um, you know, those individuals would, would start to connect with a mental health individual, whatever that looks like, whether it's group therapy for loved ones that have suffered a loss, a, a loss of a partner specifically, there's a lot of really good um, care support groups. Um, and or, you know, an individual therapist or just finding that one person that you can connect with um, and you can talk to and it manifests, you know, those those people can be very surprising as who they are. Right. Um, you know, they can be a neighbor. They could be a daughter in law that you never really connected before with. But all of a sudden, this this is the, the moment to connect. It could be that best friend that has always been the person to talk to. But I always encourage people that have have suffered a loss to just find that one person if that's all that they can do and check in with them once a week twice a week however long um, it takes for them to hopefully start getting over the the um, depression stages but then you know having having those conversations about what what made you happy in the past right was it was it pickleball? Was it gardening? Was it yoga? Was it spending time with your grandbabies? Um, and really kind of taking a deep dive into, okay, you're not happy now. We completely understand why, but let's start to build this, this profile of who, who you are and what made you happy in the past. And let's try and build on that. Um, and just to try and tap into community resources, senior centers are, are a fantastic wealth of, of community activities. Um, so I don't know if your mother-in-law is, is close to a, a community, a senior center, um, I would tap into that. Um, and again, I would tap into whatever whatever community she has, however big or small, right? It could start with one neighbor um, and have that neighbor go over and check on her and maybe you'd take her out and garden or um, you know, have family members take her to the senior center or take her out shopping, whatever she liked to do. But I you know it's it's an all hands on deck type situation when when there's that that loss, that grief. Yeah, we're doing what you suggested. We're encouraging her to do things she used to love. She speaks five languages and would go to like a French club and read a book in French and then they discuss it in French. So we're, and our senior centers here have great programs like that. And I'm sure they do across the country. So we're getting her involved in those senior centers. Good, that's so, that's so great. Again, I mean, I, I have a lot of clients that I've worked with for years and to this day, they still do not want to have 
anything to do with a senior center or any type of social event, but I continue to bring it up, right? And um, even me going in once a week is now a part of their social routine in a weird way. And also uh, what I see a lot um, is, is the medical team starts to be a part or a caregiving team really starts to be a part of that individual's social realm, right? Where they see the doctor so often that the doctor is the person that they start talking to about grief and depression and other things. And that's great. I mean, again, whoever you have around you or whoever you feel comfortable talking to, whether that's your caregiver that comes in to help you, whether that's your doctor that you're on telehealth with every week, um, whether it's a care manager, but again, what any interaction is, is good. I, um, I like to ask people always over, you, you've got such a wealth of information, so I know you're probably not surprised by a lot of things anymore, but is there anything that still surprises you when you get phone calls that you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting this to be an issue or anything that jumps out at you that you wish you people could just know before they call you? Maybe that's a better question. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I'm continuously surprised by uh, things. Um, I feel like in care management and again, what I, I want to be surprised because I, I don't want to stick to a script, so to speak. Right. So when I'm surprised, that means, oh, great. This is something that, you know, true to my mantra, I'm, I'm happy to help and I'm happy to find resources for, even if it's kind of bizarre or, or I've never been in, in that specific space before. Um, but let me think, yeah, um, my, I just, uh, started working with a client who needs help. She, um, she fell and hit her face. Um, and she is now we're we're in this realm that I've never been in before, um, to, uh, find really good, plastic surgeons. Uh, yeah, it, uh, facial reconstruction surgery. And it's going to take a, a long time and a, a lot of different types of surgeons. Um, I mean, it was a very bad fall and um, there's there's going to be a lot of reconstruction needed, but that's in a, you know, I've never been calling, um, you know, nose plastic surgeons before. And I have, I'm, and they often, um, you know, I've called three or four and I say, you know, I'm an LCSW. And they say, what does that stand for? We've never had a, a social worker call us before. <laughs> um, but other, other things I think um, that I would love to have be more knowledgeable, um, definitely when it comes to Medi-Cal. Um, when, when people usually on board with me, they're usually pretty well educated on Medicare by, by then. Um, and Medicare is a little bit easier to navigate. There are professionals that will help you specifically manage that, that part. Medi-Cal is this really unsexy thing that not a lot of individuals or family members know about. And so oftentimes um, I, I step in and I start working with a family and very quickly I realize you qualify for Medi-Cal and, and the families or the individuals 
no, we don't. We make too much money. No, we don't. You know, we we we've already looked into that. And a lot of people don't know that Medi-Cal, which I'm sorry, uh, Ryan, Medicaid, same, you know, Medi-Cal is our fancy term here in California. Um, but Medicaid, uh, it has a, a spectrum of what you can qualify it for. It's not black and white. So you can qualify with a share of cost. And, and then there are lots of very fun, innovative ways to drop that share of cost down over time, but get on Medi-Cal because then that opens the door to so many programs, to in-home supportive services, to adults daycares, to eventually the assisted living waiver program. Program, right. Um, and so oftentimes I find myself having to educate people on actually you do qualify for Medi-Cal. Um, so that's that's, I think, something that I, I constantly run into over and over again. And that's a nice way to tie it back into the National Aging in Place Council, because that is the whole purpose of why we're here is to connect professionals and communities and seniors with the education and the resources they need to just successfully age, whether it's in their home or in an assisted living facility or in their family's home, whatever they desire. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your chapter up there in the Bay Area and um, I know you're fairly new to the group, but not so new anymore. You've been with us for a while and done some presentations. So maybe you could tell us uh, what you all have going on up there. Yeah, we're a fantastic little bunch. Um, and I actually, um, I really appreciate my NAIPC group because we are, we're a younger group of professionals, which um, I have, I have been a member of other um, aging professional groups. And a lot of times I have noticed that they skew older um, and, you know, they're, they're either retired already or they're, you know, mingling with retirement. And, and so what I love about our Bay Area chapter, that NEIPC Bay Area chapter is we, most of us are, are just beginning or, or starting our careers and we all want to help, you know, the aging populations. Um, and it's nice to, to collaborate with, with individuals that are at the same level, um, you know, where I'm really leaning into my work right now, right? I'm trying to get as many clients as possible and educate as many people as possible. And I feel like um, my, my members are, are in that same space. They're just go-getters and I can call, I can text, I can email with someone and boom, right away, I get an answer from, from everyone. Um, so it's just, it's really nice to be in that space where I have professionals that if I don't know an answer, and that's very much a part of what I do, right? As a care manager, I don't know everything, but I have the network to to help me find the answers and national aging in place council my group has 
been such a resource to me. I know I just called um, my insurance, Susan Lucas. She's a, a Medicare counselor. And I just called her on Monday and I was like, is there any way to get Medicare if you're not 65? Right. So um, I just, they're, they're wonderful professionals that are so happy and eager to um, reach out and ask questions just like I am and then hopefully have answers. I love that. And if anyone is in the area or anywhere in the country and is looking for resources, our website, ageinplace.org, has a directory where you can search and find all of our chapters and all of our members. But if they wanted to get a hold of you specifically, Abby, how could we do that? Uh, so my website is theavisgroup.com. Um, you can go there, find all of my information on how to contact me directly. Um, also, I forgot to plug. So uh, if anyone is up here in the Bay Area, um, I am doing through NAIPC, we are doing a free seminar on cognitive decline and uh, the stages of cognitive decline and what symptoms to look for um, on the 12th, which is, I think, I'm going to remember, uh, Thursday, Thursday, the 12th at, at 10 a.m. Go to our NAIPC Bay Area website and there's information and it's all free. It'll be a, a wonderful seminar. I'm um, one of the speakers with uh, Melanie, who's the owner of Driver Cognitive Assessment, who's fabulous. We should have her on too. That would be a great topic of when did we stop driving? How do you have the conversation? That's a hard one. Oh my gosh. It's so complex. It's really, yeah, that's challenging. When Uber was cheap, I thought I'd be never driving again. And then it just, the price kept going up. I was like, I guess I'm driving. <laughs> because know. you at the beginning of Uber, you could like, it felt like you could go to Tim Buck too for like 15 bucks. And then you're like, well, why would I ever drive myself when I could get all this work done in the back of the car? But <laughs> it's, it's things have changed because we deal with it now with all the caregivers. Caregivers don't have cars and driving around Boston is very expensive. So, yeah, it's so expensive. That's why my next car will be a hybrid. Hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I can't get one, but yeah, if you can get one. There's, right? Yeah, there's, there's none out there. Well, hey, I mean, good luck with that, but um, it's going to be interesting. But yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I, well, how did we get on Ubers? What were we uh, talking about? That was all you, Brian. That was ADHD all going you. at it, huh? <laughs> um, all right. Well, hey, listen, you know those Ubers, but what were we talking about? We were transportation. Uh, transportation. Yes. All right. That will be interesting on when to stop doing that because it is surprising how many seniors and, and their family members who, are generally younger are uh, don't want to use uber whatsoever like when we when we put caregivers into uh the home they're like it's a caregiver drive and a lot of them they don't or they don't have their own car and and it's a condition for having a caregiver in there i'm like well what about uber no we can't can't use uber and i'm like oh all right well that's going to be tough it's getting tougher and tougher so it's going to be interesting what happens with that yeah yeah transportation is always a very complex issue with the aging population, whether they're still driving and that may be an issue or they can't drive and they're in a wheelchair, right? There's um, limitations to transportation. It, it, it can be very complex. 
Absolutely. You can have a whole nother podcast on transportation. Yeah, I'm sure it's real simple for you in the Bay Area as well. I mean, there's no traffic or problems over there anywhere on the coast of California. No, not at all. It's a breeze. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll all have helicopters one day, so that will work. <laughs> I hope my kids will. They can pick me up in their helicopter. There we go. Abby, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great hearing your perspective on things and having another member in the, the NAIPC come on here and, and let people uh, learn about what you do and not only learn about what you do, but also help educate them and bettering their, their loved ones and their parents and things like that. So thank you so much. Absolutely. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you both to you guys for giving me this opportunity. Tara, any last words? No, that was fun. We'll have to have you back, Abby. There's so many other discussions we can. I have. know. Next time we'll we'll narrow it down. Cognitive decline, transportation, Perfect. whatever. And, Thanks, and thank you all to our listeners. We will catch you on the next one. Bye.